You're listening to Along the Narrow Way, a podcast that walks you through books of the Bible verse by verse to help you dig into God's Word so you can walk along the narrow way with Christ more faithfully. Hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. Join them as they help us understand the Bible so we can walk more faithfully as disciples of Jesus. Jimmy, last week, finished up for us the book of 2 Corinthians. So uh, what we're going to do, instead of jumping into a new book right away, we have Bible school coming up in three weeks, so we're going to have to take a break from our Wednesday night study. So tonight and next week, we're just going to look at some topical things, uh, just to have kind of a topical study uh, this week and next week. We'll have Bible school the third week, and then that following week, we'll start into a new book and study another book of the Bible. Um, This week, though, if you have your Bibles, if you'd find the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. This past Sunday, we were continuing our study in the book of Psalms, and part of what we looked at was being in a pit of despair and desperation and crying unto the Lord. Tonight, I'd like us to look in Acts chapter 4 at a place where the apostles gathered with the church, and they had a prayer meeting where they cried out to God, and it was so powerful that the whole building shook. Mm. And we see this in Acts chapter 4. Um, beginning of verse 23 is where we're going to start reading. I'm jumping right in the middle of it, so let me uh, back up a little bit. What has happened? Peter and John have been going into the temple, um, and on one of their trips into the temple, there's a lame man who calls out to them. He's begging for money, and they stop and say, hey, look up here at us, fella. And he thinks, well, they're fixing to give me something. And they say, look, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have, we're willing to give you. And they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, arise and walk, and the lame man is healed. And it causes a great big ruckus. And the Bible says many people believed in Jesus because of the efforts of Peter and John and what was happening here with this man. But the problem was all the priests and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elders, uh, those of the Sanhedrin, they didn't like a bit what was happening. They'd already been after the apostles to tone it down, and now they're doing all this. So uh, Peter and John are arrested. They're threatened to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. Um, They're accosted. But they are let go. And upon their release, they make their way back to the church. Not necessarily the church building, but the people. Um, The believers in Christ. And that's where we pick up here with verse 23 of chapter 4. And being let go, they went down to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. There's the crying out to God. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus." 
And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So here's a prayer meeting. God's people gather together. They cry out to God in prayer. And it says the place was shaken. A man named John Franklin has written a book. It's an old book now. It was called The Place Was Shaken. And he examined this prayer. And he, he said this prayer was effective because of three things. The people's relationship with God was passionate. They clearly recognized the activity of God around them. And they obeyed God. Based on those three statements, let's look at this text and, and just pull th some things apart. And I think if we look at those three criteria of uh, having a passionate relationship with God, uh, recognizing his activity of what's going on around and being obedient to him, I think we see six particular things that can make our prayer life very powerful and effective. So tonight I just want us to talk about having powerful prayer, effective prayer, and six elements that we should really tailor our prayers toward so that they're effective and powerful. They're all found in verses 23 through 31. So let's look at how they begin this prayer. They say, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things in them. And you have said. So here's the first thing we see about this effective prayer, this powerful prayer. This was a prayer with a focus on God. It's focused on God. They, Peter and John specifically, had just been released from being assaulted, being accosted, being threatened, being persecuted. But as they open their prayer, their focus is not on their own persecution. The focus is not really on their own circumstances. The focus of their prayer is on God, on who he is, on his greatness. In fact, they quote from the book of Psalms there in verse 25 and 26. Their focus is on God's sovereignty, the work of Christ. This powerful prayer begins by having a right focus, a focus on God. Now, throughout the prayers that are prayed, you see through the book of Acts, through the prayers of David, you see in the book of Psalms, we very clearly see that personal need is also addressed. Mm -hmm. Personal petition is also mentioned but it's not the focus. The focus is always God and his greatness, God and his sovereignty, God and his power, God and his work. The focus is on God even when personal petition is brought into it. Yes. It's not a help me God, help me God, help me God. It's a God, here's who you are, here's who we recognize, here's how great you are, here's how we magnify you as we bring to you our petitions. And so powerful prayer in this context we see happening when the people recognize God is far more important than my personal desire. That's right. I need to focus on God and his kingdom. I need to focus on God and his purpose. I need to focus on God and his greatness as I bring to him my need. Amen. So interacting with God through prayer has to become much more than just a time of requests. If I'm coming to God in prayer and all I'm ever doing is requesting, that is not a, a time of 
communing with God to grow with God in my faith with God. That's not a conversation. I mean, Jimmy, if I just come to you and every time I talk to you, it's Jimmy, give me this. Jimmy, I need that. Jimmy, help me with this. <laughs> we don't grow in our no, relationship. That's right. Growth in relationship is when we converse. It's like a, a kid in the store at the Walmart in the basket. I want this. Can I have that? Can I want mm-hmm. that? I want, and now if we were just to do that, Number one, we wouldn't have very much money very long to pay for anything, you know. And it wouldn't do any any good just to give Mm -hmm. them every single thing that they wanted. That's right. You know, you have to give them what they need, the food, Mm -hmm. the necessities, the nourishments Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You know, I think our desire for prayer should be a desire, should switch from our personal desire for ourselves to our personal desire for what God wants. That's right. That's right. I don't know if I said that right, but maybe. No, I, no I'm with you. In fact, I have that written in my notes here in just a little bit. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm tracking with you. So what we see right off the beginning of this prayer is a meaningful interaction with God is meant to glorify him, bring honor to him, move us into understanding his honor with an intent to bring him honor and glory. And that's the focus of this prayer. That's how it opens. And when I focus on God in my prayer, when I focus on his majesty, when I focus on his purpose, what that helps me do in my personal life, it helps me begin to pray from his point of view. I begin to pray in light of how God sees things. Not that I have the vision of God or the wisdom of God, but it's a biblical framework. I begin to pray from a biblical perspective. I begin to evaluate circumstances and situations and then speak to the Lord about them from a viewpoint that is a biblical viewpoint rather than just a self-centered viewpoint or a worldly viewpoint. When I focus my intent of prayer on glorifying God and magnifying him and his attributes, it puts me in a frame of mind where I stop being so self-oriented in prayer and become God-oriented in prayer, where I begin to even evaluate the things around me from a biblical perspective, a biblical framework. Um, we, we often call that a biblical worldview. I view the world through a biblical perspective, and that leads my prayers that same way. You know, um, my prayer becomes more about God than it is about me. Amen. It's what it amounts to. A focused prayer is a prayer that I pray that is re- much more focused on God than on myself. Not that I don't take time to mention my needs and my desires and my concerns. There's a time for that. But that's not my focus. My focus is God. My focus is honoring God. My focus is bringing glory to God. That's the focus there. So the first thing we see in this prayer is that they focus the prayer to God on God. I want you to see a second thing about their prayer here. They're responding to God from the sincerity of their heart. It's a response to God from the heart. They interacted with God from a true and sincere heart. Amen. This wasn't religious ritual. This wasn't habitual practice. This wasn't, it's prayer time, let me say my prayer to get it over with. This wasn't, well, we're about to eat, everyone bow your head, we, we have to pray. It's not just habit, it's not just ritual, it was a, an expression from their heart to God. They poured their heart out to God. They were responding to what God was doing in their lives They were responding to what was happening around them from the heart. This wasn't just a a ritual that they felt like they had to do so they could manipulate God's favor. That's right. I believe that's how a lot of people view prayer. 
It is a action that if I employ, I can manipulate God to show me favor. Mm. I, I can, if I'm faithful in practicing the ritual, God will respond because of my habitual repetition. Mm. But Jesus himself said, don't pray as the heathen That's right. in the vain repetitions. That's right. It's not about the ritual, it's about the expression of the heart. And that's what you see here. A true response to God is a prayer from our heart. It's not, well, I'm about to go to sleep, I'm gonna feel guilty if I don't pray. It's a heart that says, I want to talk to God. A heart that says, I want to fellowship with God. A heart that says, I want to commune with my heavenly Father. It's a heart that has a desire to lay out our lives before God and interact with Him. And the intent of our heart is expressed in our prayers. And if the intent of our heart is expressed in our prayers, that means the effectiveness of our prayers is affected by the intent of our heart. That's right. If I don't come to God in sincerity, then I shouldn't expect my prayers to be very effective. Mm. If I'm just trying to play a religious game with God, why should I expect him to be very responsive to the prayers I pray? So the intent of my heart really affects the powerful or the effectiveness that I experience through prayer. So we, we come to God with a sincere heart, with an expression from the heart. That means we need to keep our hearts directed sincerely towards God. So that means my effective prayers are affected by things I do outside of prayer. For example, if I cultivate a lifestyle that helps me be oriented towards God, uh -huh. that affects my prayer life. If I in, employ practical elements in just practical living that helps me stay focused on God, whether I'm at work or at school or interacting with the family or whatever I'm doing, if I'm careful to take even those practical elements and conduct myself so that I stay oriented towards God, that helps me express from my heart right. towards God, a sincerity. Um, it's, it's, it's this idea that we cannot live our lives best based on our selfish desires or or um, our own conceitedness, and then just burst into God's presence and say, hey, God, here I am, respond to my prayer. <laughs> you know? The Bible very clearly says that we can come boldly before the throne of God. Okay. Jesus has granted us that access, but with that privilege becomes, or comes the responsibility to come with a sincerity before God, to have our hearts oriented towards God. Some of the things we can do to orient our hearts towards God, fill our hearts with God's word. That's right. When we Amen. fill our hearts with God's word, his word keeps us directed towards him. Giving attention to thanksgiving and praise directs our hearts towards God. Psalm 104 talks about that. It speaks of thanksgiving and praise directed towards God so that we interact with him appropriately. The thanksgiving it mentions in that psalm is a reference to being appreciative of the blessings we receive from God. And the praise mentioned there means to acknowledge the excellence of God. And so when I couple together my appreciation of God, expressing excellence of God, it orients my focus towards God. It directs my heart toward Him. Another aspect of keeping ourselves oriented towards God is the implement, uh, uh, implementing confession regularly. Now, obviously, confession as far as confessing sin, I mean, the Bible says that even as a child of God, I need to confess my sin so that he can cleanse me from that unrighteousness. It restores my close fellowship with him when I have sin. But beyond the confession of sin, we need to confess biblical truth. Yes. I pour God's word in my heart, then I need to confess that truth 
That happens in two ways. I live it, and then I speak it back to God. You want to have effective prayers? Pray God's word to him. That's right. He's made the promise. Speak it back to him. But you have to know it before you can do it. And once again, this is from a sincere heart. This isn't just a ritual of, here's what your word said, so I'm going to say it. Another way to keep ourselves oriented towards God is just the application of faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, without faith it's impossible to please God. So if I'm going to come to God with a sincere heart in prayer, I need to apply faith. In fact, I believe God, God responds better to prayers of faith than he does prayers of need. Oh, yeah. I think that's what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, God knows the things you have need of before you even ask. That's right. Well, if God knows I need it, before I ask, why should I ask? Because it's showing your faith. That's right. God knows I need it, but how does he help me realize that I understand I need him to provide it? The prayer of faith. God, here's what I need. I trust you to provide it. I know you know I need it, but I'm coming to you and asking you to work in this, to provide this. It's a prayer of faith. It's the expression of God, I do trust you, and I understand I have to depend on you. That's right. I have to rely upon you. I know you know that I need it before I ask, but I'm going to ask to prove to you I trust you. I believe in you, and I have faith in you. It's believing in God's ability and his willingness to apply his ability to our lives. That's a prayer of faith. Amen. It's an expression of faith. So it's not just the random rattling off, here's what I need, but it's God, I truly believe you can handle this and you will handle this. So we, we respond to God from a sincere heart. We express a sincerity from heart. That's what we see in these people here as they prayed. There's a third thing we see in what they did when they prayed. When they were praying... They were praying, seeking first the kingdom of God. Mm. Their prayers were about God's kingdom first. If you go back and if you go back and read this prayer again, I won't take time to do it now, but if you go back and read the prayer again, it is focused on the kingdom work of God. It is focused on the kingdom work of Christ. It is focused on the sovereign plan that God had preordained and worked through. Pilate and Herod, the Gentiles, the Jewish leaders, to bring about the plan of redemption. It's all about the kingdom work of God and carrying on the kingdom work of God, advancing the kingdom work of God. These people prayed powerfully and effectively because their prayers were seeking God's kingdom priorities. Their prayers were oriented on advancing the priorities of God's kingdom. In fact, that's what you see Jesus teaching in the Gospels time and again. When he was teaching the essential aspects of prayer, you read the model prayer that he gave, you go back to the Sermon on the Mount. When you look at these things, you will see that he, he teaches his followers to pray prayers that seek kingdom priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pray for God's kingdom the pursuit of his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. The model prayer, he says, when you pray, you pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's right. Kingdom priorities, God's purpose. And so when you go back and you read the gospels and you read where Jesus teaches on prayer, when he's teaching on how to pray or talking about how God answers prayer, if you study it, you'll see it revolves around the priorities of God's kingdom happening first. 
every time. Now, he doesn't use the words kingdom priorities. That's how I'm describing him. But if, if you go back and read the different aspects when Jesus teaches on prayer and answered prayer and things of that nature, you will find it revolves around our prayers focusing on God's kingdom, and the priorities of God's kingdom. It happens. When you look through the Gospels, when you look through the epistles of the New Testament, and you look at what are God's kingdom priorities? Well, there are several, but you can boil them down to three main things. There are three essential aspects of kingdom priorities, three aspects of what God's kingdom really focuses on through the New Testament. The first one is evangelizing the lost. And you see that prayer here. They want to see the lost evangelized. When I pray, when I seek God's movement in an area of my life or someone I care about, part of that prayer should be that God moves so that people come to a place of salvation, come to experience a saving knowledge of Christ, that people are drawn to the Lord so that they can know him personally. A second aspect that you see through the epistles that is a focus of the kingdom is equipping the saints that my brothers and sisters in Christ are equipped to serve God and the kingdom. Once again, you see that here in this prayer. They pray specifically for the power and the boldness to carry out the work of the kingdom. They're praying to be equipped to carry out the kingdom work. So part of my prayer is, yeah, I'm praying for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and their need to be met, etc. And in that, God grow them so that they're equipped to serve you. Yeah. A third aspect of kingdom priority we see throughout the epistles is the idea of we need to impact the world for the advancement of the kingdom. It's this whole idea that we are ambassadors for Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and as ambassadors, we implore people to be reconciled unto God. 2 Corinthians 5, that whole, whole thing through there. We implore people to be reconciled to God because we're ambassadors of Christ. We're citizens of heaven, representing our king here. We speak and act on his behalf for the advancement of his kingdom so that the church even becomes these little um, individual... Um, um, I just lost my word. As a plot of ground that we own in another country. Embassy, embassy, embassy. embassy. <laughs> Churches become little embassies in communities where we have a heavenly representation in a world of sin. That's right. We influence the world for the kingdom. That's a kingdom priority. We advance the kingdom in the world. So what we see in this prayer are these three elements. They prayed and experienced the power of God, but their prayer was focused on God with a heart seeking God, open to God in sincerity, seeking the kingdom and the advancement of the kingdom, and God responded. There's a fourth thing they do. And we see here it's the recognizing and responding to God's activity. This church prayed with power because they prayed in response to what God was doing. They saw that God was opening people's understanding to the truth of Jesus. They saw that people were being saved. They saw that people were responding. They saw that there was opposition to God. Mm. They saw what was happening. They saw the work of God going on. And so they prayed according to that work. 
They prayed in response to what they saw God doing. They prayed in response to what they saw opposing what God was doing, and God responded. What that means for you and I is we need to learn to recognize what is God doing among us so that we can pray according to what God is doing. What is God doing in my life individually? What is God doing in the life of the church? What is God doing in the realm of our community? What is God doing so that I can join in that and support it in prayer? I need to learn to recognize how is God leading me personally so that I can pray according to how God is leading me. It's, it's that burden on your heart sometimes. Best way I can explain it is you just have a burden to pray over someone, about someone, about something. It is God leading you to pray. Many times I will wake up in the middle of the night with a person just in my mind and know I've got to pray for this person. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. But God woke me up and said, here's the person. I need to learn to recognize when God leads me to pray over something, to pray over it to pray over someone, to pray over that person. I need to recognize what is God doing in my life? How's he stirring in my life? What's happening in my life? And then pray accordingly. You know, we don't need to just go through life haphazardly, just we do this, we do that, this happens, that happens. I need to recognize, here's what's going on, what are the spiritual implications of that, and pray accordingly. What are the spiritual implications that uh, my kids' basketball practices are starting up, and they're on a whole new, around a whole new group of kids, or I'm meeting new parents. The spiritual implications are: I have a new mission field. I need to pray accordingly. Mm. You know, it, you just you just learn to recognize these things. What's God doing in my life? What's God doing in the life of the church? Let's pray accordingly. We need to learn to look for where God is at work. Look for the work of God, and pray. And then we need to really. Pray expecting, expecting God to be moving. I need to pray with an expectation and a confidence when I'm praying in these things. And I might also add, we need to, we need to pray immediately. Mm, yeah. We need to pray immediately. These people, they came back, Peter and John came back, they told the church, here's what's going on. And they didn't sit around and talk about it. They didn't sit around and say, well, let's come up with a seven-week Bible study on this. They, did. they stopped and they prayed. They recognized what was happening. They saw what God was doing, and they responded in prayer. They did not procrastinate. So when I start to recognize what God's doing in my life or what's happening in my life, when I start to recognize things in my church, I need to pray. I don't need to procrastinate. I need to pray. We need to pray as we recognize what God's doing. Here's a fifth thing they did. These people cast their cares upon the Lord. Their prayer was not encumbered because they were encumbered with a world of concerns. They took those concerns and gave them to God. Now, think about the context in which this happened. Peter and John have been arrested. They're going to be arrested again. This is going to be an ongoing thing for them. They're going to be beaten, and more than once, God is going to have to unlock the jail and let them out. I mean... They're under persecution. Yet under persecution, they go to the Lord in prayer and they say, God, here's our cares. Now remember, this is Peter. He's one of the guys that experienced this. When you go to the book of 1 Peter, he says, 
casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. How could he say that? Because he's the guy who was beaten and locked up over and over and over. He's the guy that had all the real cares of the world put upon him, and he had learned how to go to God in prayer and say, God, here are these concerns, and I hand them to you, and I won't take them back. Will you carry these for me? Because I know you care for me. I will trust you and your power and your plan, and I will not try to pick these concerns back up again. Their prayer was effective because they took their concerns to God, gave them to God, and left them with God. Amen. Too many times I've been guilty of trying to hand it to God and the next day pick it back up. Yeah. <laughs> Let me carry that a little bit further, God. Why is my prayer not being effective? Because what I handed to God, I took it back from him. There are times we hand it to God and we need to leave it with God. He cares for us. He is able. He is willing. He'll take care of it. So when I sincerely look to God as the source to meet my needs and to carry my burdens, it frees me from the anxiety that robs me from opportunities to serve God and to worship God and enjoy the peace of God and experience that joy from God. Doesn't mean it's always easy. But when I let God carry it, that which would rob me from opportunities to serve him is taken away. That which would rob me from the peace he wants to impart is taken away. These people cast their cares on the Lord. You see it in the prayer. They handed this over to God. Here's what's going on, God. You said in your word they're going to rally against you and your Messiah. Well, they've done that, and now they're against us. They say, look on their threats. Grant your service or grant your servants with all boldness that we can continue to speak your word. God, there's the threats. We're going to give them to you. You just give us the boldness. They traded their concerns for the boldness and the peace of God. They gave it to the Lord and left it there. There's one last thing it says they did, and we'll wrap this up. Notice how it starts out. So when they heard that, this is verse 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Mm. They prayed in one accord. They prayed in one accord. This church united together and prayed together. They prayed in one accord and were poised to experience a powerful movement of God in response to their prayer. They were united in prayer. They were united together and committed to prayer. To pray in one accord is a reference to being united in desire, in purpose, in mission, and love. These people were united in their desire for Jesus, the purpose they had in serving Jesus, the mission he had given them, and the love he had imparted in their hearts for one another. To pray in one accord, what they did, they prioritized God's kingdom first. Amen. They understood their purpose in reaching the community around them for the honor of Jesus. They united in prayer for that mission. They prayed for the lost and for their equipping. They were united on that mission. And in their prayer, you see how they had grown to have a deep love for one another, a concern for one another. That is a model that we all need to employ. We need to have those that we can pray together with in our church family, 
other believers that we know, whoever it is. We need to have those that we can come together, unite in prayer, being of the same desire, purpose, mission, and love, and seek God together. Whether it's our personal prayers or our corporate prayers as a church, we want them to be powerful and effective, but we need to pray in unity. Pray over, the, over these things that we see God doing. Pray over the needs that we know exist and pray united in our desire for Christ, our purpose for Christ, our mission for Christ, and in the love of Christ. We need to be in one accord together in these things. These are six things that this church did in the first century. And when they prayed, the building was shaken with the power of God. That's the kind of powerful prayers I want to have and I want all of you to have and I want our church to have. The kind of prayer that's powerful and effective. The kind of prayer that when people know those people are going to pray over this, God's going to do something. <laughs> that's the kind of church we need to be known as. Amen. The kind of church that prays with such sincerity and such focus that people know when we put them on the prayer list, God's going to move because we're that kind of praying people. Jimmy, I monopolized everything. I'm oh, sorry, man. brother. You got hey, any you, thoughts? You're on fire on that one, man. Uh, no, I mean, you hit it out of the park. You know, I, you know just, I, I think, you know, that Jesus, you know, he taught us to pray that model prayer. Then I think he, he, he modeled it perfect there in the garden because mm -hmm. he, he, he was... You know, he was, I, I liked how honest Jesus is in his prayer because, you know, it, it did trouble him mm -hmm. and stuff like that. He did ask the Father if there was another way, let it, it could mm -hmm. be, but he also said, not my will, but your will. That's be done. right. And I think that's where we need to come to with an attitude of that's prayer. That's right. That's where it all ends. Yeah. God, here's what I'm dealing with. God, here's my burden. God, I trust you and I want to abide in your will. Yes. That's ultimately it. That's right. Yes. That's right. All right, well, next week we'll come back. We'll have another study. The week after that, we're having Bible school here, so the, along the narrow way will not happen that week. But then that third week, come prepared to start a new book. I won't tell you what that is yet because, well, I hadn't prayed through it yet. So Bible school, that's the thing we can be in prayer for. We need to be praying for Bible school. And I, not right. just, you know, and I, I know we're ending right here, but I just got to say this. The Holy Spirit, I guess, is laying it on. You know, we always want a bunch of kids and stuff like that, and that's great. We need to, you know... But it's not, we shouldn't concentrate on the numbers, just the pouring out of the gospel in the children. How does God want us to pour the gospel out if it's just one child or a hundred? Oh, that's right. That whoever shows up. Yes. We need to be praying that God is preparing their heart even now to be receptive to the that's truth right. that's to be taught. That's you know? right. Amen. So. Anyway, All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And those of you who listen to the podcast, thank you so much. Um, as always, I'd love to see you come on a Wednesday night and meet with the church in person. You're always welcome. Sunday mornings, Sunday school starts at 9, worship at 10. You are always welcome to come to Bono Baptist, but we're glad you, you are uh, taking time to tune in with us, and we appreciate y'all. We're going to sign off and have prayer here with the church family. So until next week, we will see you later. Amen. You have been listening to Along the Narrow Way, hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. If you haven't done so, subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates on new episodes. Thank you for listening, and remember to stay faithful to walk along the narrow way with Jesus.